launch another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Here we go. Speaking of launching, we just had uh, Joe Gangwish talking about what he plans to do. You've got some launches planned for the 4th of July. I saw what you did there, uh, launching uh, Midday and launching some fireworks. A lot of folks have been doing that already, so we're going we're gonna to try our own. It Coming sounded tomorrow, a little bit in our neighborhood like we've been under assault. <laughs> well, we can only hope that after all the fireworks are completed that Joe comes back with the same amount of fingers and toes that he yeah. leaves with. Well, that's true. Let's hope everyone does this yeah. time of, of course, year. Yeah. yes. All right. All, right. all right, Joe, what are the fireworks in Ag News today? Well, the bottle rockets in Ag News today will be uh, a report from EPA. Yeah, they pulled back on some RFS announcements due to Brazil and Argentina and the whole biodiesel scandal that they're dealing with. Uh, also an update on a bill addressing ag bioterrorism by Senator Pat Roberts. We'll talk about that in ag news. I'll visit with David Shem, president of the National Association of Weed Growers, in our listening area. He's in Sharon Springs, Kansas, talking about harvest in his area. You know, we talked to him back, what was it, in April? When that snow just buried oh, right, right. buried the wheat, and we were wondering if it was come back. It did. Then he got hit by severe weather last Wednesday. Some of his fields just obliterated by the hail. So a lot of these wheat guys can't uh, catch a break. But he's, he plans on finishing up wheat harvest today. We'll talk to him at 1219. Susan talked with Nebraska Ag Director Grabe Eyeball last week right after uh, they introduced U.S. beef into China. It was Nebraska beef. They'll have that discussion at 12.45. He's our newsmaker. Then she's back at 117 with Mike Sander, acting officer for FSA, talking about the importance of Farm Service Agency elections this time of year. Very good. Thanks very much, Joe. And Brandon Bennett is in for Jason with sports. The Kansas City Police Department was put on high alert yesterday afternoon after there was a major robbery in Kansas City. Robbery. Mike Moustakis and... I'm sorry. I had it there, and I just I can't go any further with that. But the Royals were robbed of at least two players who were not added to. Mike Moustakas and Eric Hosmer should have been added to the All-Star game, in addition to Salvador Perez and left-handed pitcher Jason Vargas. Then the MLB came back and said, well, Moustakas has been named to the MLB All-Star final vote, so he might get in if he gets enough vote, but still... Highway robbery that Mustakas and Hosmer didn't make it on the first ballot for the All Star game. We was robbed. We were I robbed. And as we a lifelong robbed. Kansas City Royals fan, the petition starts here. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll wait for that uh, to come around and add our names to it. And here's Bob Brogan with some business news. Well, there's a lot of business. Bob, your mic is not working for some reason. Perhaps it's better that it doesn't work. <laughs> We are uh, anxiously awaiting the 4th of July holiday, which I guess we're in the midst of right now, but lots of folks will be getting together with their families, and so the markets will be closed tomorrow. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, U.S. stocks are higher in a shortened session today. Construction spending is flat, and a survey says that U.S. factory activity has risen to near a three-year high. Meanwhile, there's a monthly survey out of business leaders across the uh, these uh, Midwest and Plain states that we live in and uh, flourish in, and uh, so we'll have a report on that as well. Stay tuned. We'll do that. Paul Perkins is in here to tell us how the hot firecracker 4th of July is going to turn out. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be really hot as we head towards Wednesday and Thursday. Going to start seeing the impacts of a big ridge of high pressure starting to move towards the east. Uh, looks like right now, though, um, 
at today and also into tomorrow for the 4th of July. Actually close to seasonal for temperatures across the area. Well, we will take that, my friend. <laughs> this uh, ag news, uh, ag weather, I should say, is brought to you by Coolman Repair. Our temperatures right now continuing to warm up. We do have temperatures in most areas in the upper 70s to low 80s right now. Still a few stray showers from about Fairbury down to Manhattan into eastern areas of Kansas, but most of that on the light side as far as any rain. Low pressure to our west and a disturbance in the Rockies today will help to spark some thunderstorm development by the afternoon and evening. Some of those storms could be on the severe side, and it looks like the severe threat going to be mainly over now over south-central areas of Kansas. And some of those storms could be severe in much of Nebraska and northern Kansas. But right now, it looks like that severe threat now has been pushed well to the south into south-central Kansas. And also, a moderate risk is in place across much of central Oklahoma. So that's where most of the severe weather will be. But we do see a decent chance of some thunderstorms in many areas later on today. Additional clouds and that cooler air behind the front today, helping to keep our temperatures right near seasonal levels. That will continue for the most part tomorrow. We'll start to see a subtropical ridge of high pressure expand east tomorrow through the middle part of the week. Most of the day tomorrow going to be dry in most areas. A disturbance dropping down the eastern edge of that ridge, though, could trigger a few thunderstorms late in the day on into tomorrow night. Wednesday and Thursday, hot weather expected underneath that dome of high pressure. The hottest day looks to be on Thursday. That's when we could see some locations over the southwest and west central warm to near the century mark and some triple-digit heat on the way. A weak backdoor cold front starts to drop in from the northeast with some minor relief by Friday and the weekend. A few thunderstorms are possible as that front lingers on into the weekend. In our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. are forecast to be warmer than normal this weekend through July 16th. And we are starting to head into that warmest time of the year this weekend through the 16th. Highs in central Nebraska usually average in the mid to upper 80s with overnight lows on average in the low 60s. There's a very good likelihood of below normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through July 16th. So not a promising weather picture with above normal temperatures and below normal rainfall. Weather is a definite factor in the markets today. The main weather factors include dryness in several primary U.S. and Canadian prairies crop areas and limited rain across north-central Ukraine. The 4th of July will be dry for most of the country. Thunderstorms are possible in the western Corn Belt and many parts of the south and east U.S. Temperatures in the western U.S. will remain well above average. Rain chances this next week in the northern plains are limited. The dryness and hot to very hot weather will greatly increase stress to crops. Some wheat acreage in the northern plains is now being baled for livestock forage rather than grain because of the adverse impact of drought. Drought concerns are increasing in the Canadian prairies in southwest and central Saskatchewan. Areas farther north and east, though, within the prairies should not be as hot and dry. The western and northern Midwest will also be dry and hot, and that will lead to more stress for the corn and soybeans. It's the total opposite, though, in southeastern areas of the Midwest, where a rainy pattern may be stressful to areas already under some stress from heavy rain. In the southern plains, a trend towards below normal rainfall and above normal temperatures may increase the risk there to summer crops. Dryness in north-central Ukraine, a lingering concern. 
Temperatures recently turned higher. The showers this last weekend eased some of that crop stress. Well, we'll, we'll have to obviously continue to monitor those crop progress reports every afternoon from uh, USDA to see how this is uh, taking a toll as we get on into it. Not really the big problem yet, but could be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, increase in irrigation uses is going to be stepping up on those costs, but yeah, it's driving those prices up right now. Yep, absolutely. And this Ag News and weather brought to you by Coleman Repair. Hope that you will drop by and see them. And when you need weather anytime, drop by and see krvn.com. Get an update on midday ag news. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network. Reports have surfaced that South American biofuels are the reason why the EPA pulled an announcement of renewable fuel standard volume requirements. Concerns that refiners will import ethanol from Brazil and biodiesel from Argentina to fulfill RFS volume requirements helped lead EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt to reconsider quotas for those fuels, according to several reports. A coming announcement may include lowering the targets so refiners can rely mostly on U.S.-made biodiesel and corn ethanol. Until the pullback, EPA had sent the White House Office of Management and Budget proposed quotas that would have required the use of 15 billion gallons of conventional corn-based renewable fuel. But some reports indicate the new concerns are causing the agency to rethink that approach. Meanwhile, biodiesel producers have filed a trade complaint against imports from Argentina and Indonesia, asking the government to impose tariffs to counter what they say are unfair subsidies and dumping. But the U.S. trade decision will take a while to be announced, and that could delay EPA's RFS announcement longer than initially thought. Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas, his legislation addressing agro-terrorism has been signed into law. More from Susan Littlefield. Described as a bipartisan bill to address the threat of agro-terrorism and high-risk events to our food, agriculture, and livestock industries, it takes precautions and increases preparedness to mitigate potential risks. Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas announcing on Friday his legislation to address this threat was signed into law. As the bill was first introduced, the senator said, Kansas is the leading state in biosecurity research. We have the vision and the capability and the expertise to study plant and animal health. We are already hard at work to safeguard our food supply. So we must ensure that our nation's food and fiber, our economy, and our well-being are protected. This is a good bill. The Securing Our Agricultural and Food Act requires the Secretary of Homeland Security through the Assistant Secretary for Health Affairs to lead the government's efforts to secure our nation's food, agriculture, and veterinary systems against terrorism and high-risk events. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Popular Conservation Reserve Program came under criticism on Capitol Hill for outbidding cash rental rates on productive farmland, idling whole farms, and challenging beginning farmers. CRP, a mainstay in the toolbox of conservation programs, and producers want more of it in the next farm bill, but the program may be hurting producers as well. That's according to senators now preparing to write that bill. Iowa's Joni Ernst told USDA officials at a recent hearing that one of her constituents wrote her that high CRP cash rents were undermining his operation. And in one instance, it was he was outbid by over $100 per acre by the government. 
The same thing happened to one of his sons in 2016 who lost 80 acres of land to a pollinator program where he had recently installed a center pivot irrigation system. Ernst says she's heard similar stories from others where the government is outbidding cash rental rates on productive farmland. And a new undergraduate certificate in agriculture that's been approved by a state education commission for the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. Their certificate, which offers 16 hours of college credits, was officially approved June 15th by Nebraska's Coordinating Commission for Post-Secondary Education at its meeting in Lincoln. The program was created for college students majoring in a non-ag dis- uh, disciplines, also high school students seeking a dual credit program in agriculture. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The last time we visited with David Shem, president of the National Association of Wheat Growers from Sharon Springs, Kansas, his wheat was buried under over 20 inches of snow. And now we catch him with a harvest update for western Kansas to see how things are coming along. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network. With us is David Shem, and he's going to give us an update on the wheat harvest. So, David, uh, you had a little bit of bad weather last week that really put the finishing touches on destroying the last part of some of that wheat. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, risk we always uh, run uh, out here in the high plains, and and uh, just when it comes to harvest time, uh, it's just a mad dash to try to get that crop out of the field. Is it obviously it lowers uh, quality if we get rain on it with these uh, summer thunderstorms? But again, uh, like you mentioned, you uh, run the risk of uh, having a hailstorm, where people call it the Great White Combine come through. And unfortunately, on one of our fields, we managed to get. About half of it harvested, and then we had one of those 1 a.m. thunderstorms come through and just flatten the rest of the field, just melt it to the ground with hail. And this was some of that wheat that was buried under the snow, so it had come back. Yeah, it had come back. Uh, this wheat this year has uh, faced some, just some uh, phenomenal challenges between snow and freeze. Uh, even areas out here in the western part of the state, uh, wheat street mosaic virus. Uh, it's really had a, a, you know, a pretty big challenge. But with that, you know, the encouraging thing that we've heard, uh, and I've been hearing in, that, in, uh, in my area here, there has been some good yield, and there's also been some uh, pretty good quality. So, you know, it's, it's exciting and, and, and sure uh, optimistic to be able to hear that. As we catch it today, you're talking about maybe finishing up here in the next couple of days. Yep, yep, we are. Uh, you know, we've grabbed a little bit of a window here uh, of uh, field getting dry enough. And uh, weather kind of drying out just a little bit. Uh, some of the northern part of the uh, state, um, uh, right up along the Nebraska border, did get some more uh, rain last night and some severe weather, but it actually stayed just to the north of us. So we're hoping to wrap up here uh, pretty shortly. And, uh, you know, this, uh, the, unfortunately, most of my fields got hit with uh, some hail. So uh, we still had some fields that uh, actually pushed up into the um, mid-40s. Um, but overall, I guess it's one of those years from my standpoint on our operation. We're so glad to put it in the books and look forward towards next year. Thanks for the update on yields there in your area. How's protein been this year? You know, we had a couple of fields that were uh, still better than last year, but um, they were running 11, 11% protein and maybe 11 half. But most of our fields, and I'm going to say just a few, but most of our fields actually had really good protein, anywhere from 12 and a half. So we're up to a couple had uh, around 13 and a half, which almost 14. You mentioned Wheat Streak Mosaic earlier, and we know it's been a problem in parts of western and southwest Nebraska. How widespread has that been this year in western Kansas? 
you know, it's in over a really wide area. There's a lot of fish, uh, you know, by uh, farmers and extension and everybody just to uh, make sure encouraging all farmers out there to do uh, uh, good management practices as we look forward to this next year's crop. Uh, I have a lot of concerns. Uh, I got affected uh, um, by one field um, that got hit real bad uh, situation that came over the road uh, from a neighbor across the way there. And uh, when we were harvesting it, it was kind of astounding, uh, you know, as you just watching the yield map, the further away you got from it, the yield just started bumping up. But it probably impacted, you know, a good third of that field uh, and hit it by 50 to 60% loss in yield. That's David Shem, president of the National Association of Wheat Growers from Sharon Springs, who should wrap up with harvest here the next couple of days. Yeah, on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time for us to check sports with Brandon Bennett. Good afternoon, Dirk. The oldest and widely considered the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world, the Wimbledon Championships, are underway. Five-time Wimbledon champion Venus Williams won her opening match at the All-England Club, beating Elise Mertens of Belgium 7-6-6-4. Williams is playing for the first time since being sued by the estate of a Florida man who died after a car crash police say Williams caused. Williams, who was playing on grass for the first time this year, is seated 10th at the tournament that she won in 2008 and reached the semifinals in last year. The University of Nebraska system was well represented at the 50th annual Nebraska Match Play Championship last week in Omaha. UNK junior-to-be Jay Cottom birdied the 37th hole to win the week-long tournament held at Shadow Ridge Country Club. Cottom, a Hebron native, topped former Husker golfer Justin Jennings in the finals. Major League Baseball announced yesterday that Royals catcher Salvador Perez and left-handed pitcher Jason Vargas have been selected to the American League All-Star team. Perez was named the AL starting catcher for the fourth straight season, while Vargas earned his first selection to the Midsummer Classic. Additionally, third baseman Mike Moustakas was named one of the five AL players up for the Esurance MLB All-Star Final game vote. Perez becomes the first Royals player to start in four straight All-Star games since George Brett did it in five consecutive years back in the early 80s. Perez is batting 290 with 17 doubles, 16 homers, and 51 runs batted in through Sunday's games. Vargas is the first Royals starting pitcher to be named to the All-Star team since Zach Greinke in 2009. As of Sunday, he's 12-3 with a 2.22 ERA, leads the American League in both victories and earned run average, and he's won seven straight starts dating back to May 27th. His 12 wins before the break are the most since David Cohn, who also had 12 in the first half of the 1994 season. Speaking of the Royals, they have won 15 of their last 21 heading into a series with the Mariners, driven in part by Alcides Escobar's resurgence atop the lineup. The leadoff hitter went 7 of 16 during a four-game series with Minnesota this past weekend and has raised his average 50 points to 230 since June 13th. Kansas City is now one game over 500 and tied with the Twins for second in the American League Central following an abysmal start to the year. And if you're a fan of the long ball, then you loved the month of June in baseball. Toronto Blue Jays first baseman Justin Smokes Dinger in Friday night's game against the Boston Red Sox set the record for the most home runs in a month in Major League Baseball history. Smokes' home run was the 1,070th across the majors in June, breaking the previous mark set in May of 2000. And they didn't stop there. Friday's game saw a total of 33 home runs for a final grand total of 1,101 for the month. 
That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. A slight chance of thunderstorms for today with highs in the mid-80s in the east and central to around 90 in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Meanwhile, lightning, rain, strong winds, and hail affected parts of west-central Nebraska last evening. National Weather Service meteorologist Darren Snively. Up to golf ball size uh, south of Mullen, and then we had some more golf ball size reports around the Lincoln-Logan County lines, and then some smaller hail up to quarter size kind of throughout the southern sand hills. We also have some strong wind reports. The highest recorded gust we received in our area was 77 miles an hour at Kingsley Dam. We had estimated up to 60 in the North Platte vicinity. And then we had a a wind damage report of a roof blown off a house uh, just north of Palisade. Snively says no injuries were reported. A Nebraska man is dead after a motorcycle semi-accident this morning just east of York on Interstate 80. York County Sheriff Dale Radcliffe says they were dispatched to mile marker 355 in the eastbound lanes shortly before 9.30 a.m. this morning. I had a tractor trailer uh, eastbound in the driving lane. Uh, kind of was pulling over to uh, miss this car here because they was broke down. We think when he uh, pulled over the motorcycle kind of hit the back of the tractor trailer and uh, was drugged for a while. The man's identity has not been released pending notification of Ken. The driver of the semi-trailer was not injured. Kansas officials are expecting good news from Kansas's next report on tax collections. The Kansas Department of Revenue planned to issue a report today on tax collections in June. Republican Governor Sam Brownback and Budget Director Sean Sullivan told legislative leaders Friday in a public meeting that the early numbers they saw for June suggested tax collections would exceed expectations. Eastern Nebraska health officials are warning that smoke from July 4th fireworks could create air quality issues and trigger reactions in those sensitive to pollutants. The Douglas County Health Department says the concern is greatest this weekend through Wednesday, the day of Independence Day. Firework smoke may cause breathing to be difficult for individuals with asthma or other heart or lung diseases, as well as the elderly, very young children, and pregnant women. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Many called it a historic ceremony. The opportunity for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, U.S. Ambassador Terry Branstead, and Greg Ibot from the Department of Agriculture to showcase beef that came from Nebraska. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, Director Ibaugh did give us a call from China to talk about the event and the opportunity they had to showcase American beef and specifically beef from Nebraska. Yes, it is a great opportunity to be able to get uh, the name of Nebraska identified and connected with the great beef we produce. And hopefully it helps our plants that source um, their daily harvest from uh, individual Nebraska feedlots that are filled by individual cow-calf producers 
do more business more rapidly here in China. Well, Greg, we know this has been 13 years in coming, so obviously a lot of excitement uh, coming from the U.S., but what's been the rep, uh, reception that you guys have received once you arrived in China? So the events that uh, we participated in with the Secretary today were main, mainly media-oriented uh, with the idea that USAMEF wanted to uh, make a big splash in the media to make sure everybody in China was knew that U.S. beef was here and that the excitement was building. And the, uh, the number of media that attended the event was incredible. It was... I bet you there were 20 TV cameras, and I don't know how many reporters with bats were there. Now, you have an event as well. Um, it was a two-day event for you guys, correct? Yeah. So uh, then uh, uh, we also then had a luncheon mainly with uh, U.S. staff and some of the uh, importers that were directly involved with these first shipments. And then tomorrow uh, we will have a promotional event at a, uh, a retail grocery store that is going to be featuring the Nebraska beef as well. Well, Greg, this has got to really showcase the hard work that's been done by, by the cattlemen, not only in Nebraska, but all across the nation to be able to supply a very safe and readily available product overseas. Yeah, I think the, the reason why there was so much attention given by the media is because, uh, you know, the media in China recognizes that there, that the U.S. has a great product. Uh, they are have been waiting for the opportunity to uh, be able to go to their grocery stores and the restaurants and uh, stay at a hotel and have a great U.S. steak just as much as we've been excited about supplying that steak. What is the economic, or do you guys even know what the economic impact is going to be for our producers? Well, you know, we've played with different numbers and if we were looking at the Chinese marketplace and if we got our share of that uh, in balance with the world similar to what we've done in Japan um, and then Nebraska would get our share of the U.S. Japanese market or a comparable percentage here in China and we think that it could be a $200 million market fairly rapidly if we can find the cattle to supply the, the demand. Do you think this will open the floodgates for other opportunities, for other ag products within well, China? And that's definitely the hope, and that's one of the things that Secretary uh, Purdue and Ambassador Branstad both talked about today during uh, their comments uh, in front of the media was that they uh, they saw this as an important first step and that they wanted to continue to pursue expanding agricultural trade operate opportunities uh, between the U.S. and China and really felt that that could be a leadership role that uh, uh, in leading other trade opportunities in manufacturing and intellectual property and other other areas of our economy. And Nebraska very well represented these couple days in China. Right. It was, uh, you know, it's a, a kind of a fun personal time to be able to have uh, Craig Uden be president of NCBA and be part of the festivities today, actually get to, part, uh, you know, do the ceremonial first cut with Secretary Purdue, uh, Craig did, 
and uh, he and I, you know, have known each other since college and both uh, live in Dawson County, Nebraska, and so that was uh, a fun uh, personal note as well. Anything else? I know that you're on very limited time. You know, uh, while I'm here, I'm also, in addition to those, uh, the media event and the supermarket um, promotional event, uh, I'm taking the opportunity to meet with some importers that have reached out that are wanting to be connected uh, to Nebraska beef. I have also worked with uh, the American Chamber of Commerce. They have uh, offered their assistance to helping us and working with us to not only introduce them to some of their members that are interested in purchasing uh, Nebraska beef, uh, but also reaching out and helping us understand the Chinese marketplace and especially the e-commerce side of it. My conversation with Director of Agriculture, Greg Eibach. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network and with us, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Did we see as much volatility in livestock futures as they had in the grains today? Nope, not close. Uh, it was kind of a quiet day, uh, actually. I mean, we did uh, we did see some uh, triple-digit losses in the uh, feeder cattle, uh, mainly because of the grain. Uh, but uh, no, overall, uh, we're going to finish mixed a little bit lower uh, in the uh, live cattle and then lower in the uh, feeders uh, with the uh, hogs a little bit higher. But uh, it was it was a pretty quiet day. Uh, no, most of the concentration was over in the grain, so that kind of took the uh, wind out of the uh, uh, enthusiasm in, in the uh, livestock. There wasn't much to go on uh, looking at uh, last week's trade uh, in cattle a little bit lower than the week prior, and uh, that uh, kept things under wraps along with the uh, cutouts, which were lower at noon. The feeders, like I mentioned, uh, I think a lot to do with the, the grain. Uh, and then the hogs, a little bit higher as cash continues to be uh, uh, relatively uh, firm. Uh, let's just call it about steady. But we're considering the discount uh, we still have, even with the July contract, and then a bigger discount with the August on back. Uh, we did see some uh, buying uh, come into the market. So, But overall, a pretty quiet day. Wish everybody a very happy and safe Fourth of July. You too, Joe. Thanks, Joe Teal. Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter today naturally would be lower because of the holiday and maybe some reduced schedules. One hundred eight thousand, nine thousand less than last Monday. Hog slaughter three hundred sixty-six thousand, and that would be seventy thousand less than last week. I'm Dewey Nelson. <laughs> Have you ever thought about the opportunity to help out with your local farm service agency? Well, good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. That opportunity may be in front of you, and you didn't even know it. Acting SED Mike Sander with the Farm Service Agency in Nebraska talks about the importance of the county committees to the local FSAs and how you can get involved. Well, within all the agencies within USDA, Susan, FSA is the most unique and that it is an agency that has a farmer-elected county committee system. Basically, a county committee is a member that is voted on or into a county committee by producers in the area. So basically, a producer that is a neighbor elects other persons to serve in this county committee function. County committee members are critical components of our operations of FSA, 
and they basically give us grassroots input into administration of federal programs. And we have farmers and ranchers elected to serve on these kind of committees and they apply good judgment and knowledge to help the decisions necessary to administer programs in the county. Essentially, they'll look at providing input for loan programs, safety net programs, disaster programs. They set county average yields for commodities and conservation programs. A county committee member is elected for a three-year term and the maximum they can serve is three consecutive terms or a total of nine years. County committees typically are comprised of anywhere from three to seven members. If a county office is a standalone area and they only serve producers in that one county, they typically have three members. In some of our locations where we have service centers that administer more than one county, they can have three to five to seven members. Uh, essentially, in our 71 offices, we have a total of 250 county committee member members in Nebraska. And we also have advisors appointed to the county committee. An advisor is appointed to a county committee when it is identified that we have an underrepresented group from the elected members of the committee. So in other words, if we do not have female representation on a county committee, the state committee can appoint a female advisor to that county committee. An advisor is appointed for a one-year term and they can serve nine years consecutively before they have to have a break of service. So really, in so many ways, I mean, you've got producers that have boots on the ground, shall we say, who for many of them are, are living and, and dealing with what the programs are that FSA offers. So they can kind of give some firsthand experience when talking about it during committee meetings. That's correct. And, and the reason that's important to us is they are actually within the area. They understand the agriculture trends and needs within that location. And they can best represent and provide the grassroots input that we vitally need to administer our programs. So essentially, a, to be eligible to be on the county committee, a producer has to live within that area that administers their farm. So in other words, they would technically have to live in a local administrative area to serve. Our counties are typically divided into three local administrative areas, and then one-third of the county is elected each year that we have rotational basis. So, Mike, how does somebody know if they're in an eligible area? Maybe they've got some interest and want to be a part of the FSA. My recommendation is that a county committee, or excuse me, any producer interested in serving on the county committee, contact their local FSA office that administers their farm records, and they can be provided a copy of a map of the local administrative areas. And they also can identify what local administrative area is up for election on a given year. If you'd like more information on how you can get involved through this election process, contact your local FSA office. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson back on the Rural Radio Network, and we have John Payne with us. He's Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, here it is, second day in a row that we had these big moves. Yeah, follow through as well. Nice volume day, at least in the morning session. thought maybe we would run into some problems, but uh, all in all, even even with the kind of a subpar close, I think we're going to see more of this next week. Well, we had uh, weather influence in here. We probably even saw some short positions getting out of those positions. Is that possible? I think that's a big part of this right now, especially on the soybean side. You know, hedges. I've been saying this for a while. If you've been working with me, you know that I never tend to sell that winter month time period without getting heat. I've been doing this for a decade now. Never have I ever 
you know, made winter sales and, and not gotten a little bit of uh, heartburn, so to speak, in those midsummer months. And I think that's just starting here. I looked for a test at 1030 before this thing's all said and done. Maybe it doesn't go there directly. It is a little early for beans to be rallying on weather, but uh, I think the one thing that the report was, really struck me was how many beans are planted up in the Dakotas. You know, they're represented about a sixth of the crop, and they increase. They represent a lot of the bean increase, or total acreage increase in soybeans. So, well, you have uh, the main part of the belt that looks okay. Those extra beans that are kind of being tacked on here to help support the carryout might not be there, and that would be, a, I think, a $2 mistake if we would find out that uh, production is maybe 200 $300 million less than we think. At the same time, we had export inspections this morning, and I uh, have lost track of those at the present time. Did you have any information regarding that? They were good, solid, really kind of represent where we've been the last few weeks. I don't have the numbers on, my, on the top of my head, but exports are not moving it right now. So they are not part of the story. Um, I think they will be down the road, but this is a time of the year where we don't really see a lot of products moving from the U.S. anyway. You have a, a new shop that's essentially opened in the last two weeks and three weeks, and uh, corn harvest is underway in South America. So I would be uh, remiss just to be focused too much on exports. I think the, the Wednesday crop harvest report, and then the WASD report that will come out in two weeks, things two weeks from Friday. So uh, all in all, it's our week Friday. All in all, I think there's there's more upside here. Wheat feels like it's hitting some levels, but I would have said that two, two days ago. We're up probably 40 cents. But. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst at uh, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. As we settled up the 30-cent limit Kansas City wheat, 44 cents for Minneapolis spring wheat, as that huge rally continues, over $8 a bushel, by the way. And we were 29 higher for Chicago wheat. Soybeans, 22 to 24 higher, even as much as 26 higher, 7.5 higher in corn. Dewey Nelson reporting.